On this week's episode of Arsenal Gothenburg podcast number 228, we're going to talk the whole podcast episode in English because we have a famous guest known as Andrew Allen. Uh, he's famous for his own podcast, Left Field Podcast, or you can read his stuff on arsblog.com or arsblognews.com. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Rami Shaban, a little bit about our uh, last game, the 2-0 defeat against Chelsea. We're going to talk about uh, Mikel Arteta as a player and as a manager. We're going to talk about Bob Marley players. What the freaking is that? And of course, we're going to talk about the two super Swedes, Anders Limpars uh, and Freddie Jungberg and much more. So stay tuned. Here we go. Yes, hello and welcome to Arsenal Gothenburg podcast, a podcast for Arsenal fans, by Arsenal fans, to Arsenal fans, where emotions run the show, uh, this time totally in English. My name is Philip Tolf, and with me today we have, starting from the top, Oscar Axelsson. Hello, Oscar. How are you? Hello, Philip. Uh, I'm decent, I would say. If you, uh, like I said before, if you take Arsenal out of the equation, mm. it's pretty good. Um, How are you? Uh, I, I have a full day. Basically, we can have a full podcast about my day today, but we're not going to have it. But I've been stressed. I've been full day. It's been a full day for me. Feels kind of strange, strange to do this in English. Uh, I have to say, talking to you, but everyone who listens will get why we do this in English in a couple of minutes. Uh, moving on, Oliver Sipusipus. Hello, Oliver. How are you? Hello, Philip. I'm all right. Uh, got uh, hammered by a, um, Sorry, fans. What? And yeah, no, no. Are I, you hammered? Get hammered. No, no. I'm not really hammered, but oh, it might bad. sound like it. No, uh, my uh, colleagues at work uh, they support uh, different uh, top six uh, teams, and uh, I've been barraged uh, with uh, everything today. So I'm. Um, I don't know. Can, I'm pretty decent. <laughs> can you imagine, Oliver, supporting a top six team? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it would be lovely. A man could dream. A man could mm. dream. Yeah, but otherwise you're right. Yes, I am. Great. It's, uh, it's all good. Great, great, great. Uh, moving on to our special guest and man of the hour, I, I guess. Uh, very delighted to have him back on the podcast. I have to say, Andrew, Alan, are you well? <laughs> I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, as far as uh, being an Arsenal fan in London goes, um, there's lots of us, so I guess we're kind of miserable together over here at the moment. But I'm all right. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, trying to take it one day at a time and hoping we get a win soon at some point. Do you have a rough time at work as well with colleagues supporting other teams? You know what? Now that I work from home, I don't have to see anybody, so I can just go into like hibernation until Arsenal win a game. That's one good thing about it. You know me, I work uh, in a kindergarten. Uh, so the kid, the people I meet during a day is like four years old or so. Uh, and old ladies. So in these times, <laughs> it's, pre it's pretty good, you know. No one's, uh, you know, 
in my face and telling us Arsenal is shit. Um, but in you other ways, you have to deal with real problems, I'm sure, with the school kids. Nah, nah, I don't know. Uh, but at the other hand, when things are going good, you know, if you remember back in the days, we were pretty good. Um, you don't have anyone, you know, to talk about uh, about that. So it helps. It's it had these ups and downs, I guess. Yeah, I mean. Uh I mean, back when we were really good, I was at university surrounded by people in London. So, um, you know, everywhere I went, it felt like I was living on a kind of Arsenal cloud. And it was, you know, it was just a wonderful time. But I guess more recently, it's, uh, yeah, I've got no problem keeping a low profile. Pretty good working at home. It has, it has its... Um, Positives. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Andrew, second time on the podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah, thank you for inviting me back. It's uh, it's very exciting. It's been too long. It's been too long. Um, how does it feel? Are you ready? Do you remember uh, the? I remember last time. I remember in the aftermath. I think I became uh, an honorary member of the, uh, the Arsenal Gothenburg group. Yeah, that's so true. That's true. I got a got my little membership card in the in the post, and I think it was a little badge. It was great. Yeah, that's true. I was very that's honored. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, no worries, mate. No worries. And speaking of it. Um, we got a book as well. For yeah, we got a book as well. So thank you very much, that Andrew. You, that you picked when you won the Christmas lottery. You picked his book. Uh, yep. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. I read it every night. <laughs> not really. But well, it, you know, it's about the good time, so why not? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, matter of fact at every year when uh, Invincibles Day happened, Ella happens, I actually pick up my book and, you know, Take me through it, oh, read all the good stuff, and you know. Uh, yeah, you and me both. You and me both. Yeah, you do the same thing. Well, I try and flog a few more copies of the uh, of the uh, the book on uh, Amazon. <laughs> I try and remind people it's still available. <laughs> yeah, it's still available, and uh, remind them of the good times. Um, yeah. But speaking of it, um, where were I going with this? Oh, yeah, last time you were a guest. Uh, do you remember the introduction questions? Uh, so we get to know you as an Arsenal fan. Yeah, I remember some of them. I can't remember exactly what it was that I was talking about at the time. Um, great, because we are, are a little bit short of time this evening, so we're going to do them again, but not all of them. We're going to focus okay. to, I think, one or two. Um, uh, I, I two. think it's all right. Two. two. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you. Um is it alright if I ask the first questions, my dear, my dear panel members? Yes, go for it. <laughs> Thank you. Why very can much. you just fill in if people want to hear the whole introduction question with Andrew Allen? They can go back to episode 161, the 27th of November 2019. So it's almost two years ago. Oh, God, time flies. Really? I was. I listened back to a snippet of it uh, like half an hour ago. And it's really easy to remember because the episode is called The One Win with Andrew Allen. So check it out. <laughs> uh, but we do it again in like a fast forward thing. Um, okay. Andrew, how, when and why did you become an Arsenal supporter? Uh, okay, so I think that the quick version is I was, I was born into an Arsenal family. Um, my mum's dad was an Arsenal fan. Uh, my dad uh, 
uh, was an Arsenal fan and I just didn't really have much of a choice. I think I was um, taken to Highbury for the first time in 1987, which is a crazy long time ago now. And, um, you know, uh, I can't even remember what game it was because I was so young. And then around about 1990, when Anders Limpar came to uh, yep. to England, yep. um, that was when I started going a bit more regularly, was sort of sitting on the North Bank. Uh, on the kind of crush barrier because it was still standing so my dad had to hold me up and um you know Anders was an incredible player and I think I just sort of fell in love with Arsenal around about that time and then from Anders Limpar it kind of moved to Ian Wright and you know Ian Wright was you know a huge part of the club for a few years there before Arsene Wenger came in and then sort of all these amazing players suddenly turned up. It was just such a wonderful thing. But yeah, it was it was all a family connection from uh, from the get go. Never had a choice. So you would say a family thing. Funny thing to talk about that because I have a like a thing in the podcast. I tick up every once in once in a while. Uh, I have two nieces. Um, they are four and two years old, and I try to you know raise them as Arsenal. Um, Excellent. Yeah, thank you very much. I do my best, um, but I, I you know. I try to talk to people like, hey, am I doing the right thing? Do I force them into <laughs> anything? Am I doing the right thing? Uh, but if I hear your answer, then um, I definitely do the right thing. There's no holding back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, d I don't have kids myself, but whenever any of my friends have kids, the first thing I do is try and go out and buy them like a, an Arsenal baby grow onesie thing. So that's my kind of like trademark present now for, for any friends I've got who have kids. Like a giant, giant Gannosaurus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, my, my uh, niece who's two years old is going to uh, get that for her next birthday. So Ida, if you listen to this, uh, hold for your ears for one minute. Um, <laughs> You're not alone in this, though, Philip. No, I'm. Do the same, th yeah. do the same thing with my brother, kid, with my brother's kids, and with uh, friends' kids as well. I think it's the right way. It's the proper way. Yeah, if you, for sure. If you're seeing the Mandalorian, this is the way. <laughs> um, a funny thing you talk about Ian Wright. We're gonna talk about him uh, later on as well. But enough with that. No more spoilers. Um, in part as well. And Limpar as well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a cliffhanger. What a cliffhanger. That's good, though, because now when people listen, they know they need to listen to the end because then they know there's going to be some happy memories in this particular in this particular episode. Yeah. It's not gonna, all going to be doom and gloom. The beginning now is pretty, you know, positive and everything. But uh, I warn you, the guys who listen, uh, or girls, uh, the middle part, the in the middle, it's gonna be pretty, uh, not so positive. But in the end, wow, wow, wow! What an end we're gonna have, um, Oscar. Can I just can I just fill in with yeah. uh, the last time Andrelin did the questions? It was right after Granny Chaka has uh, had thrown his uh, <laughs> captain's armband on the pitch. Wow! Ah, oh, yeah, you spoke about that in the introduction question last time around. God, I and mean, like an, a lifetime ago. And now this is like a lifetime ago. Yeah. The world has completely changed, and yet Granit Xhaka is still in the middle of the Arsenal midfield somehow. <laughs> and Granit Xhaka is still captain. Well. <laughs> yeah, captain again. Uh, yeah, um, still captain. Oscar, do you want to ask the next question? Because you do it so good. Are you a member of Arsenal Gothenburg, Andrew Allen? I am. Or at least, unless my membership has lapsed in the time that I've, uh, you know, 
been talking to you since or since the last time I spoke to you, but I believe I am. The thing is, I think you need to renew it every season. Have you renewed it? So I'm it? not. So I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Is that the case though with uh, with honorary members though? But I don't know if uh, Andrew is an honorary member. I have to check uh, check into that. But it should be an honorary yeah. member. But Andrew, I'm do you remember? I'm gonna have to dig out my card. Yeah. Do you remember last time we strike the deal, Andrew? Because uh, I don't know how it works with payments overseas and everything. So if I pay your membership, uh, you buy me another beer when I come to London next time. Easy. Whoa. That sounds I get like two, a pretty good deal. I, I get two beers in London. In your face, Oscar and Oliver. <laughs> let, 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 let's assume I want a lifetime membership. You're going to get very, very drunk that night. Uh, yeah, sounds like a win-win to me, mate. <laughs> Um, if you listen to this and not uh, yet are a member in Arsenal Gothenburg, Oscar, what should they do? Easiest way is to visit the website arsenalgöteborg.se or uh, you go to Facebook and you search for Arsenal Göteborg or you go to uh, Twitter and Instagram and search for Arsenal GBG. Great, perfect. It, uh, it sort of became a bit swinglish. <laughs> Mixing the languages here, it, it, it's a bit feels a bit weird saying the names in Swedish. Yeah, uh, speaking in English. You can do the easy way. Just Google Arsenal Gothenburg, and I think you will find a way. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Google is your friend. Google is your friend. Um, yeah. I I have a question. Yeah. How many uh, How many members have you guys got now? Ooh, that's a, I think it's a, about I don't know really but I think it's about should be like five six hundred or so wow that's cool yeah we actually have an honor member I think in Rami Shaban you know the uh, old yeah goalkeeper. yeah the ex uh, Arsenal goalkeeper yeah 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 that's cool um, he had an honor as well he's a nice guy yeah told he's, some um, really good stories uh, about training with Invincibles. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible time for him to be part of the the squad. I mean, I know he didn't play a huge amount, but he did get some games and across, you know, playing with some of the the greatest players the game has ever had. So, I mean, it must be an incredible thing for him to be able to look back on it like that. I'm just, yeah, wow, good for him. Yeah, really. He's really. such a down to. He's like the most down to earth guy you, you will probably ever speak to as well. I think I I follow him on uh, on on Twitter. I know he used to sort of sometimes kind of pipe up with uh, some comments on games and stuff. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, to be honest, a lot a lot of uh, ex players are uh, <laughs> to be honest like bashing the club now sometimes, <laughs> like except yeah. Rami Shaban because because he's so damn nice. Yeah, well, I I haven't seen him negative towards the club uh, yet. But yet, yeah, <laughs> yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> who knows? Who yeah. knows? You know, I'm just, when I'm just looking at his message. Yeah, he posted a message yesterday saying, "Come on, the Arsenal, we need improvement, and that fast." So that's sort of you know, Very he's positive. that's more positive, positive than yeah. I am. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> is he? But is he the most positive Arsenal fan uh, around now? Maybe. Could be. Could be. I, I think I I still think it's a tie from AFTV <laughs> to bonus. Probably hard to break that guy. Hard to break that. Yeah. To um, but all right. Also been on the podcast. Yep, yep, yep. 
Uh, but all right, moving on. Speaking about positives and negatives, are we ready for some hard stuff? I think just, so. Yeah. Just rip the bandaid off. Yes, great. You Let's all, do it. Great, all start, it. Just rip the bandaid. Philip. Yeah. Since talking about the game, I would like to start to ask Andrew. I'm taking this question from you, maybe. Yeah. But what was uh, your uh, match day experience like yesterday? Um. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no doubt that I was very excited in the morning. And that was despite having this overwhelming sense of dread that we were going to get horribly beaten. Um, it's an incredible thing to go back to a stadium when you've been denied that opportunity to be surrounded by so many people for so long. Um, and it was it was kind of great. You know, I got to see people I hadn't seen in a long time um, who were sitting around me. I got to, you know, go to the game with my, my mum and dad. I mean, we'd... Um, I, I went to two of the games last season that were played. The the um, Aust- was it the Rapid Vienna game and then the Burnley game. Both of those had I think about two thousand people in the stadium, and it was just it just it just didn't feel right. There's just you know when you've got so few people sitting in such a massive arena, it just feels like a bit of a ghost town. Um, so it was incredible yesterday to 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 feel, especially at kickoff, the the excitement, the noise. Um, and it's so much better than watching a game kind of at home in front of the TV on your own, which is kind of often been the case for me because I have to do the match reports on Aspok News and stuff. So I don't tend to watch matches with other people, which really makes them quite a solitary experience. So, I mean, on that respect, like, fantastic. I mean, the club are making it more and more difficult for you to actually get into the ground. And I had, I think I aired some frustrations yesterday about... You know, the process of getting in, the queuing, the kind of, you know, the new rules and regulations around bags, for example. It's just all getting a bit petty, but by and large, positive. And then the the whistle goes for the game and suddenly you kind of lean forward in your seat and your hands are in your heads and you're just sort of sitting there nervously hoping you can get through the first 15 minutes, which we pretty much did. And then bang, Lukaku, you know, inevitable goal and... um and it felt a bit like a, quite a long afternoon after that. But spe- speaking of it, you could. I think uh, I speak for everyone when you could, like you could feel the atmosphere through the TV almost because it was really loud, really positive. Until maybe Lukaku scores his goal, maybe. But um, I thought I, I think you could like feel it through the TV actually. Yeah, I mean, there's there's absolutely no doubt. I think in the second half, in particular, when. Kieran Tierney kind of went charging up the wing, chasing down a, a lost cause. And at that point, the crowd was <clears throat> very, very quiet. And then he did that and he just went absolutely mad for about five, ten minutes. The mere fact that the crowd were excited by what Tierney had done got the players going again. And we had a bit of a you know a period of pressure. And I think if Holding had um, headed that ball in after Pablo Maria had headed the corner back towards him, then we might have had a, a sort of outside chance of nicking a point. But, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt, I think, that Arsenal's form last season massively suffered as a result of not having supporters in the ground, you know. Um, and at the same time, I think possibly we benefited away from home because we didn't have to go up against really intimidating crowds at places like... Um, you know, leads and whatnot. So it's it's 100% been a missing factor. I just, I don't even think the footballers themselves enjoyed it that much last season. 
um, playing in front of completely empty stadiums. I mean, I read a Rob Holding interview recently where he said it felt like a real slog at times, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely good to be back. I just hope that we it stays this way now for the rest of the season like we don't go into another lockdown yeah definitely fingers finger crossed for that um taking it back a bit uh we're gonna come back to the game but um i think we start uh, talk start to talk about the starting 11 like take it from the beginning uh, andrew i'm gonna stick with you first uh any thoughts about the starting lineup when you saw it uh, were you in the ground when you saw it by the way uh i saw it i was um or were you handled plastic bags yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just coming up to the ground. And um, I mean, obviously, we'd heard the rumor in the morning that Ben White might be out with COVID. And that straight away kind of set you, you, you kind of made you a little bit even more nervous about it, because you know that Rob Holding and Pablo Marie don't really have that much pace. Um, there was also the rumor going around that Hector Bellerin was carrying an injury. So for me, I assumed that Callum Chambers would start uh, right back. So seeing Cedric there was something of a surprise. Um, you know, uh, Arteta doesn't seem to, he, you know, when a player makes a mistake, which Chambers definitely did in that first game against Brentford, I thought, you know, do you want to give him another chance? I thought you might, maybe. But um, yeah, that didn't play out. And I'm not a massive fan of Cedric, it has to be said. Who is um, yeah, same here, same here, same here. Yeah, sometimes I, mean, I, just... I think he, I think he can play good sometimes, but it's like a roller coaster to be honest. Some some games he's brilliant, and the next game I'm like, have you ever played football? It's it's yeah. like that Gattuso interview when he's like, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit, but oh, mostly shit, by the way. Yeah, but the thing is, if you buy a player. On basically on a free deal from Southampton, a club who didn't want to give him a new deal, then I don't really know what people. You know, what are you expecting? You're not oh, going to yeah. get. True, true. You know, he's not. True. He's not going to be a, a high end defender. I mean, we all knew that, and you know, most Arsenal fans were pulling their hair out about the deal because we were just like, we don't get it. And you know, frankly, well, what are we? Eighteen months down the line, and it still feels that way. So, yeah, I mean, him, him at right back. You know, you just sort of shrug your shoulders and go, okay. I think the rest of the team kind of picked itself because yeah. Yeah. because of the injuries. You know, I, I think um, Lokonga had done well in the first game, completely deserved to keep his place. Xhaka, fair enough. Um, Saka, it was obviously good to see him. I am slightly concerned that he's had, you know, no preseason really whatsoever yeah. and he's already played, you know, I don't know, maybe 110 minutes of football, which is a lot for his young body to, to, to deal with. Pepe and Martinelli, I mean, that kind of made sense. I, I think Balogun looked a bit lost in the first game, um, but probably no more so than Martinelli did in this game. So, yeah, I mean, it was um, the, the the lineup was relatively expected, but it, it was when you looked at the bench and you kind of went, oh, my God, like we have nothing here that is going to change the game. Um you know, I can't I even remember who's and... on the bench. Nelson was on the bench, I think. Balogun yeah, was on I mean, the bench, or yeah. I mean, Balogun obviously it's exciting the yeah. idea of him, but he's not proven. And um, you know, Reese Nelson was exciting two, three years ago, but really is one foot out the door. And then you're kind of into the El Nenis and Maitland Niles, who may well leave. Obviously, Ramsdale was on the bench, so it was interesting watching him warm up. But you know, you never expect to see a, a goalkeeper on the bench actually come on. The most uh, most exciting thing in the game was Ramsdale's warm up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, uh, he, he he seems like um, 
Well, the funny thing is with Arsenal warm-ups is I don't know if when you if you ever get the chance to go and you watch, you get there early enough and you watch the players. The number of times our players shoot and miss the goal completely, it, the the goalkeepers aren't really warming up aside from just rolling around on the turf a bit. Um, it never really kind of fills you with confidence that when they get the ball in an actual difficult situation with opponents in front of them that they might score. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's something I always laugh at with my dad when we're sitting there watching them kicking the ball sort of sky high, like Thomas Party every time. Yeah, Tom- Thomas Party, he's like trademark that shoot. It feels like, no, I'm not going to score. No, no, not for me, sir. <laughs> um, how did you guys feel about the lineup when you saw it on, on, on TV? Mm, Oliver, do you want to pick that up? Uh, I was like... Mm... Well, it was kind of, what do you say in English, uh, expected. Yeah. But I, I, I was a little bit uh, um, uh, I was uh, oh, I, my, my English, I haven't spoken English in so many months. Uh, but I was really excited to see uh, Martinelli uh, up front also, but like you said, he looked a little bit lost. Mm. Uh, but uh, like 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 you said uh, earlier, it, it was pretty expected since we have so much injuries and uh, uh, Alba is not really fit. He, he trained like one time before the game, so yeah. I was like, mm, yeah, makes sense. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, no, nothing else. I was really, really horrific seeing holding him Pablo Mari once again. Uh, it's like <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And my, w- words can't even describe uh, my feelings about that uh, s- centre back pairing. To be honest, it, it, look, it looks like I don't know, like a comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's. But- Sometimes it's unreal the stuff they uh, stuff like Pablo Mari was doing at the, at the first goal. If we're gonna yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about talk about that one, like I don't know what 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 does he expect? He's like clinging on to Lukaku and then trying to get the free kick, but he was like three steps behind. Like what are you doing? Stand up. For fuck's sake. I was so angry when I saw the goal. Oh my lord. It's such a different class, is it? Lukaku is a beast. And uh, mm. Pablo Maris looks like a 12-year-old, you know, like, uh, don't run away from me. I mean, it was something else. I was speaking about the goal. I'm going to pass this forward to you, Oscar. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the first goal and the second goal. Because uh, both goals, Tierney was really, you know, far inside. Uh, and we wrote a little bit yesterday, and you said it had to be like an instructor from Arteta to help <laughs> our poor centre-backs uh, with Lukaku and everything. But that opened up a giant space uh, for both goals with uh, um, uh, for yeah, James. I mean, yeah, that was so weird. I mean, it's been a long time since... When I saw the first goal and I saw the ball going out to Reece James, I was like, oh no, this is a goal. Mm. And I, 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 what, it's not that often you you feel like before the goal actually happens, like this is going to be a goal. But I I instantly felt like this is going to be a goal. 
no, what are you doing? Like he has that massive space on on there, and like, and when you see it, and it's pretty much, and then Tierney kind of picked it up and uh, kept uh, between the first and the second goal. He kind of kept up, uh, kept track with uh, Reece James and uh, shoved him outside of him a bit more. And then on the second goal, he does the same thing again, searching into the middle. Like, surely, I mean, you shouldn't need, you shouldn't uh, have to be free players on Lukaku. I mean, he's good, but I mean, how vulnerable are you if you put three guys basically on Lukaku? From 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 where I was sitting, and my seats are kind of quite high up behind the goal in the north bank, and. And I don't know how obvious it was on on TV, but it became a bit more obvious maybe in the second half. Was that uh, Xhaka was doing that thing where he sometimes comes in so deep that he sits as almost like a third centre back, and at times it looked like it was holding on the right, Pablo Mari on the middle, Granite Xhaka, and then Kieran Tierney. But he would do that to collect possession, presumably I, I assumed because we were missing. Ben White, someone who could actually play passes out from the back, so Xhaka came to do that. Um, but they didn't seem to be, like, there seemed to be no kind of cohesion. As soon as Xhaka stepped into the midfield, Tierney would come across, and then that massive gap would open up, as if they were missing a, a player there. And, um, yeah, it just looked very, very disorganised. And the fact that we allowed it to happen twice was criminal, really. Like, everybody in the crowd could see it. Like, they were screaming, like, you know, mind that massive gap. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was very frustrating to, to see it happen twice. Yeah, I mean, have you ever seen... Because I've never really... I It's a good analyse, and I'm... Because I've never really... That's what I said yesterday... You've never really seen uh, Tierney do that before, or I've never. It's never been that obvious, at least, like it was yesterday. I, I for what, I, 100%, I think that there was some instruction there that he was supposed to tuck in and 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 give Reese James either the space to to cover there, or as you said earlier, to to try and provide more numbers in the middle to stop Lukaku. And you know, it just didn't quite work the way they wanted it to, obviously. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just need to say Oliver has to go. He had an emergency, so uh, we're going to keep going. But um, thank you very much, Oliver, for your contribution and good luck. So, um, something else to say about the first half? 2-0 down. Um, penalty. Yeah, the penalty. Thank you. Yeah, uh, obvious penalty, right? 100%. It's very hard for me because I, you know, I was at the other end of the ground, and um, they so you saw it extra clear. It was even a penalty from the <laughs> other side of the ground. Yeah, I, I mean, I was obviously everybody was screaming for a penalty, and because they now don't show the replays in the ground, I don't know why they they didn't show a replay. But that you know, they didn't even do any kind of like suggestion there was a VAR check or anything at all. We were completely in the dark in the ground about what was happening, hmm. and. You know, you, you see the referee kind of holding his fingers up to his ear and having a listen and stuff, and then play continues, and you just assume, okay, well, they must have looked at it and decided it wasn't a penalty, and it must be reasonable decision and all the rest of it. So there was no... I didn't get a chance, but then when I got home and looked at it, there's an obvious tam tangling of legs. I mean, there's definitely contact there. I would, you know, 100%, if I saw that straight as it was happening close up, I'd be screaming for a penalty for Arsenal. Yeah. Um, and I think that... 
the timing of that would really have given us a nice boost. You know, I think Arsenal tend to do quite well in the minutes after they score. You know, they, there's this sudden renewal of confidence. And, you know, when the decisions go against you like they did yesterday, in that instance, then it just compounded the misery, really. But but isn't it funny? It's, it's just two games in. It's two games in. And already you feel like, yep, uh, the refs are back. I'm not blaming them or anything because Chelsea were way, way, way much better. But it feels like, yep, the refs is back and doing their thing and they can't help it. Because that's for me is a 100% penalty. If you have a look around at other penalties that were given basically the same day, you know, with Deli Ali in Spurs, that's mm-hmm. not even a penalty. It goes down the Spurs way. Um, so if you compare those two, the Saka penalty is 100% a penalty for me. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I have a right to be it. So <laughs> that, That's all right in a podcast like this. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, they said on the television, because you could see clearly from the get-go uh, when you watched it on TV, that the referee was uh, waving his arm, this is no penalty. And they said they did a quick VAR check, uh, you can see on the television. And they said that probably they changed the rules again. So yeah. yeah. And like, unless it's like a clear and obvious, and but I mean, it is. I mean, what do we even have VAR for? I mean, okay, it's not maybe the clearest and most obvious error, but still, I mean, it's a penalty. And I mean, why do we even have VAR if they can't tell him like that's clearly a penalty? I mean, I I definitely think for from a supporter point of view. It's very, very frustrating for the goalposts on VAR to keep moving because your expectations kind of get reset every time you go, okay, well, I keep seeing penalties being given for X, so therefore when that happens to my team, I can rightfully say that's a penalty. And then a few months later, they decide to sort of change the way that they deem you know, contact and um, and you're back to square one. You don't really know where you stand, and it's we'll have to see how it plays out because obviously last year VAR in the Premier League was a disaster. Yeah, like it yeah, absolutely yeah. ruined the the viewing experience. So I don't, in theory, have more of a problem if things play out like the Euros, where it's a bit less hands on, and you know maybe we don't always get penalties that you might think last season were penalties but that might not be a bad thing over the course of the year just from a viewing perspective you know I don't want to after every single goal be waiting five minutes to find out if I can celebrate you know um that for me was I mean it it, it, I don't know whether it was just a case of it was that combined with not being able to go to matches but you know I really sat there some nights thinking why am I even bothering with this like do I actually enjoy football um so like, I don't mind it being a bit hands-off. I agree 100%. Um, except that this should be a total penalty. Yeah, this was a penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. But um, yeah, it's confusing though how much they changed the rules. Like they changed the rules with VAR often, more often than I changed underpants basically. Uh, so it's really confusing to keep up, like you said. But all right, 2-0 uh, uh, down in half time. Second half begins, and this is something that I was planning to talk uh, about later on, but I might as well do it now. Um, Arsenal have this thing in the second half. They start really, really, really aggressive, intensive, really good, you know, fast play and everything um, for like 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes um, and get the crowd going, get the team going and everything. But But they never score. 
They never mm -hmm. score. And after 10 minutes or so, like the opponents know this. It's like, well, let, uh, let them have it. Let them have it. They're not going to do anything. We're random tired and then we get the ball again. I, w I was sitting at home and it's like, I, I know how this end. I have seen this movie before. Um, it's, it's a bit frustrating. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's a bit frustrating. Like we have 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes that are really, really good, but we never score. Um, Saka had one good shot. It was in this spell. Rob Holding has his uh, header, I think, as well. Um, but I, I get, I, I start to get a bit frustrated with it. Uh, like, do you guys know what I mean? Yeah, the same pattern plays out, right? Yeah. I mean, Arsenal come out off the back of a, a big team talk by Arteta, who's probably screamed and shouted at them for a few minutes, tried to G them up, tried to remind them about they need to go and get a goal or what have I mean, the problem is, is that we're losing at half time in so many games that we're forced into this situation. Um, and the opponents always know that Arsenal are going to try and come out and go hell for leather for 10 minutes. And all they have to do is really almost allow it to happen but sit back and don't commit too much to going forward and if they ride it out they know that Arsenal will lose confidence and get a bit more tired and the momentum will go and you know particularly when you've got home fans behind you home fans will become discontented by the fact that there hasn't been a breakthrough as you say and um yeah I mean it's 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 all it's kind of the mental side of the game really kicks in at that point um and yeah, I mean, it is deeply frustrating. I have to say yesterday, I didn't at any point really think that we were going to score. I just, I just, you could see from the outset that there just wasn't the necessary fluidity up front, partnerships, no kind of two players seem to be completely on the same wavelength enough to kind of outthink the Chelsea defenders. And uh, yeah, I mean, it made made for a kind of flat, occasion i mean there's been plenty of games where arsenal have been two 0 down at the emirates before where i've always thought you know we get one we grab a, a point we might even go on and win but this was just not one of those days and i think that really speaks more than anything to where we are as a team at the moment yeah like the gap has just become so so big and it's for that reason that i can feel very very discontented about the whole circumstance but sometimes when I go to the games, I really struggle to get frustrated with the players because it's not the players' fault. I mean, it's not their fault that they're, they're representing Arsenal Football Club and they've got the weight of history on their shoulders. They're trying their best. I yeah, don't yeah, doubt yeah. that. But and I, I can't, I can't bring myself to get angry and shout at those players. Um, and I mean, it's just such a bigger. It's the, the club has such bigger problems, wider problems that are going to take so much longer. And then it really becomes, do you have the right people to, to fix those problems? And, you know, that's where the finger pointing really starts. And it's, you know, initially always goes to the manager and then it goes upstairs. Um, and I think there are big, big question marks all over the place at that point. I totally agree. I totally agree. And just to me, make clear to everyone who listen, this is not just because we lost to Chelsea 2-0. Uh, for me, anyways, this is, a, like you said, Andrew, a much larger problem uh playing like shit basically for like six months or so or even more um i don't know where to start with it but um yeah it's not good well, you could say that it's well, not good i think i think you can you can definitely start to draw the links to when when things started unraveling a little bit under arsen Wenger at the end there there was a sense of we play some nice football 
but it's not necessarily football that is modern enough against teams who have very clear structures. You know, we were a bit too freestyle. Yeah. And then we brought in a coach in Emery who was very, very rigid in what he wanted people to do. But you saw the very start of this, I think it was Tim Stillman called it, shoe, uh, horseshoe football, where we seemed to avoid that area outside the box, you know. Was Everything it the horseshoe of sadness? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really is the sad face of the football world, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, once that kicked in, we haven't been able to shake it. You know, I, I spotted that problem very early in the Emery days, and we just, it's its really weird. It's like it's just polluted the thinking of all of the attacking players. And you imagine with a change of coach, you know, moving from yeah. Emery to Arteta, who, they've obviously got quite different backgrounds and stuff, and it just hasn't changed really that much at all. Uh, I agree. It's like something in our DNA now. It's like no, we're not we're not capable to do the most basic and things anymore. For uh, yeah, for like ten like minutes, it's second half. Yeah, it's a mental block, definitely. And wasn't it one of the things Arteta talked about when he came in? Like, I'm gonna change the mentality. Uh, this is not good enough. Uh, unacceptable is a word he often uses. Um, but then look now, eighteen months further ahead. Nothing has changed. It's it's the same mm. mental block. It's the same mentality, or or even worse, I think uh, actually. Um, so I don't know where I'm going with this. I just say what I feel, and I feel like it's time to um, make a change. Can you say that two games in? No, we can't. Uh, no, I mean I think I think you're entitled to. I think I think you're entitled to have that opinion based on the fact that this isn't two games really is it it's two it's games true. plus last season yep. plus the yep. start of Arteta's reign and I think um I mean personally I still think I don't think there's any chance that he goes before Christmas no, no, unless no, no. the team embarks on a kind of like 10 game you know losing streak or something from mm -hmm. here um and I think when you give him as much money as they're giving him they obviously believe that there's something there but the pressure is on him now to prove <laughs> to prove that he's the right man. I mean, he has had plenty of issues, so many problems. I mean, more problems than any coach starting off in their first job could probably ever imagine facing. Like it's been crazy and I really have sympathy for him. But at some point you have to step away from that and go but so could someone be doing better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, it feels like yeah. the more problems Arteta has, the more he complicates things and you know overthink things. Like yeah. I, I think not against City, obviously, because against City is gonna overthink uh, things even more. But when our preseason is done, we play uh, Chelsea and City. Our real season can begin playing Norwich at home. Uh, I think the, the, he just go into the dressing room and say, "Guys, guys, just play football, yeah." Just play football. Go out there and play football. Like, wasn't it Wenger who said, like, express yourself? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I hope he gets all the players fit because I think our first choice 11 on paper looks pretty good, right? I think if you can get those players fit and on the pitch at the same time and maybe playing a few games together um, and building their confidence together, I think there is reason to hope. I think what's pretty obvious, though, is that when you delve down into the squad depth while we've got some exciting prospects young players um you know and some reasonable kind of other guys 
it's just a world away from the strength and depth that the biggest and best clubs in the league have now. And the problem is that years ago, the gap between the top four and the rest of the league was pretty big. You know, mm, you could yeah. you could sort of mix things up a little bit and still probably go and win a home game two or three nil or whatever. And now, because of the money that's come into the Premier League, the rest of the you know, there's no easy games. I know that sounds like a cliche, but I look at the other teams and I'm like, fucking hell! Like they're really they've really got some very good players. Yeah, and it's yeah. like all the way down to the bottom. You think, okay, yeah, he could fit into the Arsenal team or he could fit in. Um, and I, you know, that 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 means that there are no. There, every time I turn up at the Emirates or tune on the TV or whatever, you just sort of think everything is on a knife edge. You don't expect the team to sort of roll someone over four nil anymore. Nah, true. It's like uh, another cliche, but every game now feels like a cup final. You have to win. You have to be like one hundred percent. And of course, like you say, Andrew, we have a lot of uh, you know important player missing. Uh, Gabriel, Thomas Partey, um, like I said, and so forth. But um, Yeah, can't help to feel worried. Uh, Oscar, I'm gonna let you in. Do you have something? Do you want to talk about uh, otherwise in the game? Because I was thinking about moving on in this a little cheated chat. But do you have anything from the game you want to um, talk about, Oscar, before moving on? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of sad, sad stats after the game. Um, first time in Arsenal's history we've uh, gone our opening two games without scoring a goal and losing. That's a bit sad. <laughs> and uh, what was it? Arteta has now lost more games uh, in his eight in his eighteen month reign at Arsenal than Wenger did in his last six years at Emirates. That's pretty sad as well. Jesus God. Christ! That's, I think the title of this podcast is going to be the stats of sadness. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, I. Uh, Since, well, the game yesterday, I was thinking back to a question you and me got um, after the Brentford game that uh, you and me haven't asked yet. And I was thinking maybe it's a good time to ask it mm-hmm. since we have an expert in Andrew. Uh, we got a question from Nico after the Brentford game. He asked us to uh, bring up on the podcast, how many players have Arsenal uh, bought in the last 10 years that actually fits into a formation or a way of playing because it kind of feels like now as well like we we basically have a lot of players here, but maybe not the, they don't fit into a game game plan or a formation it's decent players but probably maybe not the, that they fit all uh, perfect together so I'll also be curious if you have any Thoughts on that, Andrew? Yeah, I guess. I mean, the, the the first thing that comes to mind is that when Arsenal played good, attractive, passing, attacking football under Arsene Wenger, it wasn't a coincidence why that happened. Arsene Wenger had a fetish for buying, you know, diminutive, technically uh, good players who um, almost entirely kind of could play anywhere in the midfield. Um, And they all had the mindset that they wanted to attack and they wanted to to score. And um, it was no, you didn't really, you know, you didn't really uh, find it surprising. Even when Arsenal had Nasri and uh, Riziki and Fabregas and Oshavin and, you know, uh, Wilshire coming through. Like, it never surprised you that we would get linked with more 
players like that. It just seemed to be that was what we collected. And when you look at it now, when you don't have those players, you suddenly realise, well, actually, it's really important to always have someone available who can create chances on the on the pitch. And I think maybe when they started to get more money and we started to spend money because, you know, we had it, when we started buying Ozil and we started buying Sanchez, I, d- I think we took our eye off the ball a little bit about who we were buying and why we were buying them. You know, I think yeah. Arsene Wenger had a very specific idea about what football he wanted and what players he wanted to play that game. And it didn't mean that you needed to spend loads and loads of money. But then we started spending loads and loads of money. And, you know, the recruitment process has gone off in a, a completely weird tangent. You know, we had the Sven Mislintat process where we had a guy coming in buying players based on analytics for a manager that he didn't really know and we didn't have a defined style at the time so I think some of the players that came in there you know have slightly fallen through the cracks a little bit Torreira is a good example mm-hmm. um, then obviously you had the kind of the, the Rouse and Lee process where it was kind of well why don't we just go out and spend big money and it'll win over the fans and you get a William Saliba or you get a Nicolas Pepe um, it does now look like there's at least some thinking going into not just, you know, we need a player to play in this position, but also what happens if this player doesn't work out? Will he have a sell-on value or not? Um, so I'm kind of pleased to see a movement in that respect. But, yeah, I mean, we I think the, the, the players have struggled because the coaching has not been great for three years now. Mm. And I think if you don't have great coaches, then or you have coaches who are trying to play a very, very specific type of football, um, it can stimmy the creativity of a player for sure. Yeah, true, true. Uh, spe- I just uh, realized something uh, before we move on. Speaking about old managers, uh, last time we recorded Andrew, like what was it, Oscar, two years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were really down, and you said, Andrew, you said to my face. Oh, not really to my face, but over the computer. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, Philip. Things are gonna get better with time. Andrew, all things we are now two years ahead. Things are not getting better. You lied to me, Andrew. Uh, I oh, I lied sorry. to myself <laughs> yeah. first. I just kidding. I just I just realized it that you said it. No, Don't worry, Philip. Things are gonna get better, uh, and maybe they are. But things will get better one day. Thank you very much, mate. I don't know when it's gonna be. Yeah, be um, patient. I guess be patient. Um, I hope I just had to look that up, and I was like. That must have been around the time Emery got sacked. And actually, we recorded the podcast two days before Emery got sacked. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember now being very, very... I mean, I think in the in the weeks before Emery got sacked, that was by far and away the worst football I'd ever seen an Arsenal team play. And I don't... We're nowhere near as bad as that, even though the results might suggest we're not great. I think we're quite boring to watch now. But 100% we're more organised than we were. I think at that point the players had no clue what they were doing. And I was watching teams, just average teams, stroll straight through us. It's not been the improvement you might have wanted, though. So you can cheer me up by saying we're not as bad uh, as under Emery. Because I was writing in a group chat um, with a couple of friends like, we are are even worse than under Emery. But you you say we're not there. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Okay. I don't think yeah, we're yeah. as bad as where we were under Emery. I think, I think, unfortunately, Emery's 
just personality just didn't really fit with yeah. where Arsenal were as a football club. And I think the players just didn't really believe in him. And I think the fans, because Emery had no connection to the club, were much more quick to turn on him. And there were fans in the stadium, so that became more obvious. Whereas now, I feel like, I still feel this conflicted sense of loyalty towards Arteta. I mean, look, you, you know, I've got this in my Twitter profile picture as me and Arteta. I mean, um, but it's quite obvious that things have to get better. You can't yeah. just stick by someone because, you know, it's not like he's my son or, you know, a relative or something. I don't have to stick by him through thick and thin just because he played for Arsenal once upon a time. Um, you know, Chelsea are a good example of that. Sacking Lampard, bringing in Tuchel, you know. Um, you Win the Champions be League. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can be ruthless and it can pay off. And everyone just sort of brushes over the fact that you, you know, had to say bad things to a person who you once cared a lot for. But yeah, True. maybe if I come I mean, on every two years, uh, things will be better in 30 years or so. Yeah, we'll make it a, a tradition. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, how long do you think it takes before Stan Kroenke even takes notice? I mean, I'm not too confident that he's taking notice at all. It's My big thing at the moment is, even if he takes notice, do I trust him and the people at the club to make the right decision next time? Mm, and my true. answer is, I don't think so. I don't, no. I don't think that they... Uh, as a as an as a sort of collective at the very top of the club, have the necessary skills to go through an interview process and pick the right person. Um, Stan Kroenke and Josh obviously left it completely to 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 Vinay and uh, Rouse and Lee and Edu or whatever to pick Arteta, and um, you know the process was very much taken out of Stan and Josh's hands when it came to picking Uno Emery as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that they kind of presented them to him, but I don't believe that the owners have the capability to make those decisions, which means that they have to bring in people who are capable. And, you know, they have made some interesting appointments. The, the Tim Lewis guy who came onto the board at one point, who apparently is an Arsenal fan. And um, I don't know what this Richard Garlick guy is like, um, who came in to join the football executive committee kind of helping out with the contracts and stuff you know do those guys have experience and the necessary contacts to find people but um that's what worries me more than anything you know if Arteta goes tomorrow I I, I don't trust the people in charge to to make the, the right decision I agree I agree I thought about that as well uh like if we yeah. get rid of Arteta I don't trust the guys upstairs doing the right call basically um Yeah, right. Uh, I, I'm gonna try to move on this podcast uh, with the next segment, if that's all right with you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna stick with you, Andrew, because I'm gonna go back slightly to the Chelsea game, believe it or not. <laughs> 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 We have this segment in this podcast uh, where the guest uh, pick out his three uh, best players from the game. Uh, the third best, you give one point. The second best, you give two points. And the best player in Arsenal, good luck. Uh, you give three points. Uh, and these points go to um, table. Do you say that? Uh, like a marathon? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we see um, in the end of the season which player who has been Arsenal's player of the year. Uh, we do this after every game. So it's time for you to give your, give your thoughts uh, of the three best players after the Chelsea game. Uh, do you understand the rules of this little uh, game? Yep. Yeah. Third, second and first... Exactly. I can do that. Yeah, start with the third best player. 
one point. Okay, so I'm going to give third place to Burnt Leno just for the save that he made to deny Lukaku. That was unreal, um, right? Well, that was an incredible save. Oh. And I know that there's plenty of criticism of Burnt Leno at the moment. Um, and I think his distribution is a bit dodgy. And obviously, he got caught out for the goal last week. Um, but yeah, that was a an incredible save. I think if he makes that at any other point in the game, like when it's nil-nil or when Arsenal are winning, you know, people will be talking about that save for a long time. Yeah. So I'm going to give him that. In a, in, a, in a team of bad performers, that was a decent moment. So He did a good save in a Harvard's... Uh... Uh, shoot later on as well in the second half. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, two points. Okay, so uh, second place I'm going to give to Sambi, mm. Sambi Lakonga. I thought um, I've been really impressed with him, to be honest, like since I saw him in preseason. I think there's definitely something there that we can be optimistic about. Like there's an awareness of space there's a technical ability on the ball you know even in the first couple of minutes he was spraying a lovely pass out um i really like what i see from him i think he'll get better when he um is part of a more cohesive unit as a whole i'm really excited to to see what he does for the rest of the season i like its coolness as well it's like he, he plays yeah. football without really caring that he plays football you know what i mean he doesn't look stressed yeah he's i, I love like, that and he doesn't, you know, he's not someone who feels the need to run around the pitch screaming at people, losing their head. Because kind of towards the end of the game yesterday, when it was lost, obviously, and we were chasing around, Jacker was going mad. And you're kind of like, mate, just fucking calm down, yeah? Whereas Sambi Lakonga, I feel like he's a calm-headed individual, someone we can kind of lean on when um, everybody else is going mental. He's like like uh, Clive Palmer says in the Arsenal Vision podcast, a Bob, a Bob Marley player. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. That's yeah. a fantastic uh, description. I must say, Clive has got the soothers, uh, the most soothing voice of any uh, podcaster out there. Um, he's kind of like the Sambi Lakonga of voices. There you go. There you go. Yeah, me and Oscar are big fan of uh, Clive's. Uh, his his uh, yeah, he's really good. Voice he's really and good. his uh, opinions and his opinions, obviously, uh, and as, as a person as well. Oh, the, the, yeah. the, the, we uh, we only spoken to him once, but he seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, he's he seems like a great guy. Yeah. Um, your free pointer, best player in Arsenal. I'm gonna give it, even though it wasn't his greatest game, to Smith Rowe, just because I feel like his energy, his drive, he still continues to show something that we just don't have in that squad, which is an ability to dribble with the ball, make forward passes, look dangerous, and I just felt like he really tried yesterday. Yeah. Um, I mean it. Honestly, it's slim pickings. It wasn't a, a, a you know that. I mean, you watch the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. So, uh, I, I just I think it's interesting because he's wearing the number ten shirt now. He realizes there's responsibility. Um, he needs to get a goal, and he needs to start helping the side score. Obviously, it was really close but, to score though. At once. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. And I, I just, uh, I, I. I trust that we've we've got a really good player there, and I'm I'm pleased that he's kind of picked up where he left off last season. Yeah. We just need to get the other ten players doing what he's doing. Uh, do you want to know something? Hit me. I I do uh, uh, this uh, thing for fun. I pick out a list uh, just for fun to compare with uh, the guests list. I have the exactly same as you. There you go. Uh, See, Oscar, do you have something to add? Any comments? Oh. I think that's uh, reasonable. 
I think uh, we'll probably give uh, maybe a half point to Saka as well because I think he uh, looked quite good as well. Yeah. Even yeah. though he hasn't had like much of a pre or barely any preseason and with the Euros and everything, I mean, he I think still he was a player that um, I think looked decent enough in a average performance from most of the people on the pitch. Yeah. I he was he was good he was good I I I have this little fear about Char, uh, Saka this season um I think it's going to have it rough or tough uh, rather with no preseason and everything but there you go that's the list uh, that's the points to the table um uh, great moving on are we uh, prepared to lighten up the mood a bit yeah, I have one. I have one quick question just yeah. before we change. Who, 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 by your point system, won uh, Player of the Season last year? I love that you ask. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, it was actually Bukayo Saka last season. Oh, okay, yeah. so that made sense. Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah Tierney second place and uh, Nicola Pepe third place. And Smithrow yeah. fourth place, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, correct. Smithrow fourth uh, fourth place. And I guess he only played half the season, so exactly. I mean, that's pretty good going. Yeah, yeah. yeah all yeah. right, cool. Um, great. Um, so, next thing to do. We're going to play a game to lighten up the mood uh, at the end of the podcast. Uh, Andrew, have you played the game Canon or Spurs before? I have not. It's one of my favorite games. Uh, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> and guess who made the rules? Me. Um, it's a game about Arsenal's new transfers. We have made uh, Martin Erdegaard. And Aaron Ramsdale. We're not going to talk about Aaron Ramsdale today. We're going to focus on Martin Erdegaard. He okay. uh, got number eight, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Great. I, I didn't get that wrong. Uh, and here's what, what we're going to do. We're going to talk about uh, players who have had number eight in Arsenal in the history of the Premier League. So from 92, 93, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say the name. And you're going to say, like, was there good? They had a good spell at Arsenal, you give them Cannon. Or was there uh, a bad spell, uh, you give them Spurs. For example, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, number 20 because of uh, Tavares. Uh, Shkodran Mustafi, obviously, got a huge Spurs. And, and I can't remember, Matthew Upson, he... Got a cannon, right? Because he had a yeah. decent spell, a good spell. Um, yeah. And I start by asking uh, Andrew, when did they start like uh, giving numbers, like a permanent number, like a player being um, having a real number uh, more than the position having the number? Because when you look through the history at number eight, I mean, there's so many players, and Philip had a because in the ninety ninety one season, you can see Michael Thomas having it. Uh, or, or like basically in two years' time, it says uh, Alan Smith had it, Anders Limpar, David Rowcastle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rose, David Hillier, Michael Thomas, David O'Leary. So when uh, did they start having like a real number? I'm pretty sure it came in around about 92, 93. Um, and that was around about the same time that they started putting the names on the back of the shirts. Because mm. it was only once they had to kind of put the names on that they realized that it was going to be a real pain to have names associated with different numbers all the time. So um, Arsenal played Sheffield Wednesday in the Coca-Cola Cup final in 92-93. 
and Steve Morrow, who wore the number eight shirt. Yeah, I think a couple of years later, um, he uh, he was the one who scored the winning goal. But that that was the first game I think in England where they had the the kind of squad numbers in the shirts uh, with names on the back. Great, great. So there Maybe you go. Maybe we should start with him then, Philip. Or um, you want to go further back? Uh, uh, look. I prepare to start with a very special player. Uh, you could obviously start with uh, Steve Morrow, but I've, I decided not to, actually. I decided to start with another player and therefore go forward, uh, if that's all right with you. I think everyone's going to know this player, therefore I'm gonna, I felt like I'm going to start with him. Um, a lot of the other players we already spoke about in earlier episodes... Um, if that sounds all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds good. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Um, Andrew, since you are the guest, you're first up. Are you ready to play Cannon or Spurs? I'm ready. The first number eight you're going to talk about is the legendary Ian Wright. What did you say? Oh. Ian Wright, Cannon or Spurs? Cannon, 100%. Absolutely. One of the greatest players in Arsenal's history and a personal kind of favorite of mine from when I was a kid. I love Ian Wright. I still love Ian Wright. He makes me smile. Would you say that Ian Wright deserves a gold cannon? I I I would go so far as to say that Ian Wright probably deserves a, a gold cannon more than any other number eight in the club's history. So there you go. Ian Wright, a gold cannon. Before uh, Tony Adams had had a gold cannon, Ray Parler and Thierry Henry. So Ian Wright is the fourth player in this game ever to get a gold cannon. I think that's fair. I think so. I mean, he broke the Arsenal scoring record yeah. with the number eight on his back. So, you know. Uh, gold, yeah. gold cannon Yours. for me as well. Oscar, do you th what do you think? Cannon or Spurs, Ian Wright? Gold cannon as Gold well. cannon. Great. Three yeah. big but gold I mean, cannons. Bef uh, I'm looking at a list as well, but I mean, since we said we were going to speak about Anders Limpar, we need to have Anders Limpar in there, even though there's been players in between. We need to ask about Anders Limpar as well, true, because we true, said true. in the beginning we were going to talk about Anders Limpar. Very good, Oscar. True. Uh, so, I I go uh, starting with you, Oscar. Then just for a change, Anders Limpar, uh, Cannon or Spurs? Cannon. Cannon. <laughs> Andrew, Anders Limpar, Cannon or Spurs? 100% cannon. I think he wore number eight. The uh, You know the famous goal where he scores from near the halfway line against Liverpool? Yep, I've seen it. I think, yep. he, I think he had a number eight on his back that day. And I was in the stadium that day. And it was like, as a kid, to see a guy score from so far out, you're just sort of amazed. So real childhood favourite memory, that. But then Which it went to... Which would you associate, associate most with him if you... Yeah, it's a good it's a good question because um, he wore a few. I mean, like when he first joined, I think he was sort of more of a. He may have had number ten. I think mm, I can't mm. exactly remember. Um, but I don't know. For me, it felt a bit like um, Ian Wright kind of took the the number eight off him a little bit. Do you know which so, number Ian Wright had when he scored his first Arsenal goal? Uh. I think he came on as a substitute against Leicester. Was he a substitute against Leicester in the League Cup? I can't remember exactly. He wore the number. Know. He wore the number nine. Did he? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and it was against Leicester. So um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's just a trivia besides the game. But two points for you. I guess why not? <laughs> <laughs> 
Moving on to another favorite of ours. Oscar, it's your turn. Uh, Freddie Youngberg wore the number eight after Ian Wright. Freddie Youngberg, Cannon or Spurs? Well, being Swedish, for me, I mean, he would almost be a golden cannon as well because, I mean, he means so much to me. Maybe he is more of a silver cannon, but, I mean, he's the reason I support Arsenal. So, I mean, in my uh, in my supporting days, he will always be very special. So, um, I, I really, really, he's one of my absolute favorites of all time. And I, I would, I'd, gi- I'd give Freddie a gold cannon, for sure. And and me, um, myself, being Swedish and everything, like you said, Oscar, uh, Youngberg is one of my favorite play- players ever, the reason I support Arsenal. So, for me, like you said, Oscar, he's a golden cannon. Ciao. Yeah. Great, great, great. Um, the next player, your turn, Andrew. Lasana Diara, Cannon or Spurs? He had the potential to be Cannon, but he unfortunately left after about, I don't know, was it a year or something? And went to, um, where did he go? Portsmouth? Um, Everyone so, went to Portsmouth during that Yeah, night. Spurs. I'm afraid it's going to have to be Spurs. Yeah. He, he he really had the potential to be a good player. I mean, he obviously went off to Real Madrid um, true, and did quite true. well for them. Yeah. So. Uh, he had the potential, but he just didn't have the patience at Arsenal to 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 stick it out for a little bit longer. He needed someone to say, "Be patient, Lazara. It's gonna be better." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually forgot about him totally. Um, he played one season, like you said. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Diara, Cannon or Spurs? I don't. Uh, well, I know he's played for Arsenal and everything, but. I don't remember ever seeing him playing for Arsenal because that was in the early days when I started watching Arsenal. I started watching games on television in like 2006 and I don't have any memories of him playing in an Arsenal shirt. So it's going to be Spurs for me. Yeah, Spurs for me as well. Uh, Free Spurs. And the next player wearing number eight, wearing number eight, um, I don't think there's going to be much of a debate, but we're going to do it anyway. Oscar, sticking with you. Samir Nasri, Cannon or Spurs? It's hard to get more Spurs than that, if you ask me. I mean, what a Spursy player. And to be honest, if I'm trying to be a bit uh, political correct here, um, I think he's he's pretty overrated in Arsenal as well because I don't think. Well, he had like uh, six months where he was really good. But I mean, looking all over his career at Arsenal, I don't think he was that good. Wasn't he that kind of player, you know, when he uh, went 2-0 up? He was really, really good and scored a goal and assist, so he made it a 4-5-0. But if he was 2-0 down, he was nowhere to be seen. Uh, Andrew, Simon Nasri, Cannon or Spurs? I think we have to make him Spurs, don't we? There's no choice. He was just a bit of a annoying... Prick? Prick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I give him a Spurs as well. I mean, it says everything that he was a prick to Thierry Henry. Oh, yeah. a huge pile of Spurs for uh, Nasri then. Wasn't it in the national team where he, uh, th- that he demanded to have a seat on the bus which was uh, dedicated to Thierry Henry? Yeah, I remember reading that story. It was all the, you know, that French squad that sort of imploded, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so great. We could uh, agree on that one. Summer Nasri, Spurs. Next one to wear number eight. Andrew, your turn. Mikel Arteta. Cannon or Spurs? As a player now? Um, I'm going to give him Cannon mm-hmm. because at the time when he arrived, we really needed some kind of maturity 
in midfield and a steady head and someone to bring a little bit of uh, calm. And I think he did have a good couple of seasons before the injury started to get the, the better of him. So, um, yeah, I, and, I, and I met him around that period of time as well. So I liked him and he seemed like a good guy and he really loves Arsenal and he really bought into the club's ethos and loved Arsene Wenger. So he's going to get a cannon from me, even though I don't think we saw the best Mikel Arteta um, of his career. Didn't he agree a huge pay cut to join Arsenal? That's how much he wanted to join Arsenal, yeah. yeah. Apparently that's what they say. Yeah, he took a pay cut. I mean, it was all sort of rushed through on transfer deadline day, not long after that. 8-2 yeah. defeat to Manchester United. Joined the same time as uh, Per Mertesacker and Chu Young Park and uh, Andres Santos. Andres Santos, yeah, Benignon. don't forget him. And Jose Benignon. Benignon, yeah. yeah, yeah, great, yeah. Great, great, great memory. Um, Oscar, Mikel Arteta, Cannon or Spurs as a player? Cannon. Um, a few good memories uh, for me. The best memory would be uh, being at the Emirates when he uh, scored a one a goal against City, winning a one 0 after Balotelli's been sent off. That was, that was the best memory for me with him. Yeah, that was an incredible, incredible game. City thought they'd lost the title that day. I remember, like they thought they were completely out of it, and um, they obviously went on to to. It was their Aguero season, but um. Yeah, at that yeah. particular point, it looked like that goal had done them in, and uh, somehow they managed to come back. But that uh, was an incredible goal. I, I think I've told this uh, before, but I met a guy after the game as well on the bus back because I was living in Portsmouth at the time, and uh, he won a few hundred quid because he had uh, put a bet in on uh, Mario Balotelli to be sent off uh, in that game. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That's a good bet. <laughs> one, to, one to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Next player, moving on. I'm sticking with you, Oscar, because I know this is one of your favorite players. Uh, Aaron Ramsey, Cannon or Spurs? He's also a Cannon. Uh, one of the, if you ask me of a modern Arsenal legend, I'm probably going to say he's a modern Arsenal legend because uh, he will go down in the history books because he won us two FA Cup titles and uh, he's brought me probably the best memory I've ever had in the stadium when he scored against Chelsea. Yeah being in the stadium i mean there's been a lot of good memories around him but for me that's the one that always will stick out yeah so uh canon for ramsey for you andrew aaron ramsey canon or spurs yeah 100 percent canon i mean just the way that his career recovered from that terrible injury yeah um you know it's actually easy to forget that he actually ended up going out on loan to Nottingham Forest because he was so out of form off the back of the injury. Oh, and I really he? wasn't sure. Yeah, I wasn't oh. sure if he was going to make it. He only went away for, for a few months, but he came back to Arsenal. And, and then it was that, I think, 13-14 season when he, I think, uh, scored a few goals early on in the season and just he became talismanic after that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, what can you say? You know, the the, the cup final goals were just... I mean, that's what you want from a big-name player, right? You know, also, uh, well, that must have been after the loan spells when he came back and scored against yeah, Man United. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it was. Man United for the first win, win against Man United at Emirates for like so, so long. That felt quite exciting at the time because he partnered Wilshire in the middle of the in the middle of midfield and it felt like the future right there you know two young guys who were just you know very very promising and obviously ultimately i guess injuries ended up kind of denying us their best i reckon 
You know, yeah. they had obviously very good careers, but I think Ramsey could have gone to another level altogether if he hadn't been, you know, picked up some of those sort of annoying hamstring injuries and stuff. Definitely. Would you say he goes down as a legend in the books, uh, as a modern modern legend in the Arsenal history? I, I I would say so. I would. I mean, I think in this particular era, for I can I can completely understand. I mean, it's such he's. It's so hard for him going up against so many of the amazing players who won loads of trophies in the 10 years before him. But when you consider the 10 years that we've had, you know, maybe from, yeah, 2008 to 2010, around the time when he was sort of around the club, he was by far and away the most important, I think, you know, one of the most important players. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, why not? I mean, Charlie George is an Arsenal legend. You know, Steve Morrow gets sort of Arsenal legend status, Andy Linegan, and they only scored in one cup final, and he's done it in two. True, and Alan Sunderland as well, scoring two in the final in uh, 39, was it? So, I agree, Aaron Lennon, a modern legend, is a canon for me as well. Sorry? 79, not 39. I did, I say 39. Oh, 79. Yeah. <laughs> 39, <laughs> uh, way back. Oh, 79, obviously. Um, next player, Andrew. Uh, Dan Ceballos, Cannon or Spurs? I think I have to go Spurs, mm. only because he didn't hit the expectations I think we all had of him. Um, when he joined, he'd just come off the back of a really impressive under-21s tournament for Spain, and I'd watched him a bit in that, and I just thought, oh my God, we're getting a great player. And then he had a couple of decent games right at the beginning, and he just just never really was the player I wanted him to be. Um, yeah, I, I think it has to go down as being a bit disappointing in the end. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's a Spurs for me as well. It didn't go that uh, the way you wanted and hoped for. Uh, Oscar, Dennis Bias, Cannon or Spurs? Spurs. Spurs. I don't think he... <laughs> I mean, the good games he had in an Arsenal shot is pretty easy to count. Can count them yeah. on one finger, basically. One, uh, at least on one hand. One finger. Can count them on one hand. Jesus, I'm starting to get tired with my English right now. Uh, one hand. Yeah, of course. Um, all right. Which leads us to the next player wearing number eight, which is Martin Erdegaard. Andrew, I'm going to go to you because you're a guest. What do you think about Martin Erdegaard? You've already seen him for six months. Uh, but what do you think about his Arsenal career? career he signed there what was it five-year contract we're gonna watch it for five years now yeah i hope so i mean i i i i'm very happy about the deal i think he's a very very good player and i think there's good room for improvement um gonna be really curious to see where he plays like will we move smith Rowe to the left and play erdegaard um in the middle will erdegaard have more of a kind of um, you know, floating role, but technically he's brilliant. And there were games last season and passes that he made that made me go, oh, you know, this is what we've been missing. We just need to get some kind of like informed strikers in front of him and the goals will come. But yeah, I mean, his numbers aren't immediately eye-catching. What was it? 20 appearances last season, two goals, two assists. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't make you go, oh my God, you know, here we go. We've got, you know, the next, I don't know, Messi or something. But he's... um I think there's a very yeah he's a very he's a a very very he's a very very good footballer and I think he comes at a moment in his career when he's got a lot to prove and I hope that that you know that serves as good foundations for becoming a a great at Arsenal. So when we sit here in like ten years uh, and looking back and doing this game again, you will say number eight Martin Odegaard. Yeah, totally, totally canon. 
So long as someone else doesn't buy him off us for like a hundred million pounds in a year or two, yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, Oscar, uh, Martin Odegaard, what do you think? Would it be a? Uh, is it gonna be a cannon or is it gonna be Spurs? It's gonna be cannon. I think it's a good signing. Uh, everything I would write on, uh, write off on everything Andrew said as well. I uh, I am really excited about seeing him more, and uh, I think it's gonna be good. And I think it's a bit unfair. I think people have been a bit too harsh on the signing not being excited enough i mean it's a really good signing and i mean i don't see a little, much of a downside on it to be honest mm. uh, yeah, well, yeah. that's all our norwegian fellow friends as well yeah the emirate is going to be full with uh, norwegians now andrew so be prepared <laughs> <laughs> what's um, the what is the relationship like between you swedes and you norwegians you're all friendly What would you say, I would say Oscar? We're pretty friendly with yeah, friendly. We're pretty friendly. I mean, we—it's the jokes. The yeah. friendly banter, you would say. Friendly they, banter. They, they are a bit stupid, and they say we are a bit stupid. But I mean, I would say it's not any. I wouldn't say the rivalry is too big. There's much more of a rivalry towards Denmark in that case. I would say. Yeah, I um, agree. If, if I end up on the Arsenal Oslo podcast, I'll let them know that you said nice things. Great. Good. Thank you, Maros, for that. <laughs> um, We started to near the end of the podcast, but before I let you go, Andrew, there's a game on Wednesday against uh, West Bromwich in the um, what? What is it called now? Caraboa Cup. Cara- uh, Cara- Carabao Cup. The yeah. the Carabao Cup. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the Carabao <laughs> Cup. Just a quick words. What do you think? What are your expectations? Uh, I think it's going to be really, really, really difficult. Um, West Brom have got. They've hired the old Barnsley manager, uh, Valerian or Valerie Ishmael, and they play quite a lot of long balls, a lot of big throws. They're quite high intensity pressing. Um, it's not going to be a fun game away from home, especially with their crowd. Um, I don't think we've got much room to uh, rotate that much, and obviously we don't have many competitions, so it'd be good to go a bit further in this one just to get some other players playing. But Oh God, I, I I do fear the worst. I have to say. Mm, shite, shite. Uh, Oscar, what are your quick thoughts? Uh, well, I don't uh, know that much about West Bromwich uh, currently, but I t- but I read the, the things pretty much that Andrew said. And uh, but I mean, uh, yeah, there's no excuses. Go with a strong team, and I mean, now than more than ever, it's important to get a win. I think it would be very important to get a win as well. So. Go with the strongest team you got, and I don't think there's really any excuses not to um, go with the strongest team you got. Guys, two seconds. You won't believe it. The door's just gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's wine, del- wine delivery. Wine delivery. Where were we? Speaking about West Brom. Uh, yeah, okay. Speaking yep. about West Brom. Yep. Um, And, uh, important to play the strongest team we got. Yeah. Uh, me for myself, I'm looking forward to see the Arsenal play warm up. That's my new thing I'm going to look for now. Um, good, good man. <laughs> yep. Quick question about last about the game yesterday. Why is Bernd Leno playing in our away shirt? That's weird. I don't like he, that. Um, he, he did something similar... Um, last season, last season yep. for one of the games didn't he and it's a very good question I don't know whether it's just a case of because there's no reason why he couldn't have worn the green yesterday I mean the green didn't clash with Chelsea um, at all and I think they've got an orange one he could have chosen I think yep. it's just 
him being an individual for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what Adidas feel about it. Whether they think uh, the goalkeeper shirt sales are going to fall off a cliff. Are going to uh, try to sell more away kits or what's what's the? I don't know. It's really weird. I think, I, yeah, I, I, think, I don't like that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Go with your goalkeeper shirt. That's yeah. the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on that. I mean, it used to be, obviously, that Arsenal's players all wore the same length sleeves and all the rest of it. You know, there were certain yeah, traditions yeah. that were upheld and it feels like it's a bit of a free-for-all now with the players. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, it died uh, with Matthew Flamini. <laughs> it died with Matthew <laughs> Flamini. Yeah, it sure did. Uh, well, let's hope that... Uh, Ramsdale? Are we hoping for Ramsdale against West Brom? I am, anyways. I, yeah, I, th- I would imagine it will be Ramsdale. I think um, Arteta will be keen to to see what he's. I mean, you don't spend thirty million quid on a guy and just leave him on the bench for the whole season. So, and let's hope he has a proper uh, goalies uh, kit as well. Yeah, um, I think that's pretty much everything uh, we had planned to talk about. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much for uh, oh. being guest in our podcast. Thank you, thank you very much. My pleasure. It's um, it's an honour to to be invited on a second time. And look, uh, things will get better, Philip. Thank I you. Promise. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and if you, now on. <laughs> and if you liked what you heard uh, from Andrew, you should check him out on his own podcast, Left Field Podcast. Is there something you want to say about that podcast, Andrew? Except that is one of my favourites. Oh, look, that's very kind of you to say. I mean, yeah, it's um, the good thing about it is it's not all about Arsenal, so I don't have to be depressed about everything every week all the time. We can uh, we t- we sort of talk about different sports. We do football in the first half, and then any different sports from around the world that um, me and my 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 uh, podcast uh, co-host Carhol he he picks some great stuff out. So he's um, he's a good guy. It's well worth listening to. It's really really good. And check his stuff out on Ars Blog and Ars Blog News. Once again, thank you very much, Andrew. Cheers, man. And thank you very much to you, Oscar, as always. Thank you very much. Good and, time. and the biggest thank you to all that listened today. Thank you very much. And uh, see you next week. Ooh, to be a gooner. <laughs> <laughs>